0: Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on Twitter, at TheLinesUS. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Eli Herskovich. Mo is at MoNawara. And our guest today, the fantastic Bobby Marks, at Bobby Marks 42 on Twitter, ESPN, NBA front office insider, and he spent 20 years working in the NBA, including five as the assistant GM. Of the Nets. Remember to follow him on Twitter at BobbyMarks42. Thanks for joining us today, Bobby. How's it going? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NBA draft or NBA finals. And that's where we're going to start today, Bobby, talking about the Nuggets 1 0 series lead over the Miami Heat. Now about Minus eight hundred to win the series. Obviously, we're not going to ask you too many betting-centric questions, but Miami plus five fifty now to win the series, depending on the sports book and Jokic, which was minus one thirty. Nikola Jokic to post a triple double in game one. He does just that. Miami. I know some of the thoughts after the game, or that they. And I'm curious to get your perspective on this too that they missed a lot of threes. But when you look into the numbers, six of 14 on open threes, which is four to six feet of space in between the shot, and five of 16 on wide open threes. And the Heat have also shot way above their heads in the postseason in comparison to the regular season numbers. So what were some of your takeaways from the game, including Jokic and Miami's three-point shooting?
1: Yeah, I mean... I mean, I thought, you know, certainly going, the quick turnaround, certainly going from playing Monday to playing Thursday, um, I mean, you could say on the other end, well, it would have impacted Denver because they had been off so long here. Um, I just thought that, um, like, although, you know, how Miami has been able to get through um, Boston and Milwaukee and certainly the New-, the New York Knicks, there's always that laying factor. Like, this is still a team that did not shoot well during the regular season. Um, that we're in the bottom five in offensive efficiency here and that there's always going to be games where it's going to revert back to it, whether it had been, I guess, game five against Boston or, um, you know, end of game four against Boston here. Like this is not, there's, there's a difference between why the Denver Nuggets were the number one seed and why the Miami Heat were the number eight seed here where you're going to need performances from, Consistent performances from whether it be Caleb Martin or Max Struess and both guys certainly struggled here to um, certainly to have a chance if you're not going to get an A level performance by Jimmy Butler. And then I think that's what you saw in um, I think that's what you saw in game one. I think if you're Denver, like what the game plan as far as letting Bam out of bio basically go, you know, like, hey, if Bam wants to take twenty attempts and you know, that's fine. If he wants to score twenty because that basically kind of eliminates a lot of the other things as far as what they have. Um, so I wasn't surprised, um, you know, as far as for, for game one, I think game two is going to be interesting. Cause as you guys know, like every game is kind of like their own little mini series here. Um, as far as what the, adjust- I mean, giving up 104 points is, 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 pretty good though, you know, for the heat from it. You know, I think if you asked Miami 104 points to Denver, they would sign up for it. But as you mentioned, certainly struggling the ball, um, shooting, I'm I'm interested to see what we get if Tyler Hero comes back, right? I think that's going to be an interesting um, component to this, especially for someone who hasn't played in, you know, I guess it was six weeks here. Um, he certainly adds a big layer. Uh, I mean, he's essentially their third-best player. A guy can s- score, you know, 20 points on a given night here. But Miami's entering must-win already. I mean, I think game, game two is a must-win for the Heat based on um, – Having to beat, um, you know, Denver, what four or five games? That's that's a tall task there. Um, and we've seen this Denver team can go on the road and win games. Um, so that was kinda, that's kind of that's kind of my a take. You know, I mean, it's I mean, like for the people out there who have not been following NBA, like Denver's really good. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we have to tell. It, I don't think we have to say this anymore here. They kind of every guy fits their role, and uh, they've got a, you know their bench with Brown and certainly Jeff Green. Coming off, um, and Murray is as good as any guard right now playing. Um, but Miami's going to have to make open shots. They're going to have to get key stops here. And as I said, I'm I'm interested to see what they get with Tyler Hero.
0: And looking ahead to Game 2, Nuggets around an 8.5-point favorite. So a little bit shorter, actually, than where the line closed going into Game 1. Total has been adjusted down, though, pretty considerably, between 4 to 5 points from where game one's total was at, sitting at about two fourteen and a half as of this recording. So, Bobby, looking at the matchup for Miami's defense specifically and however you want to take it for game two, how can the Heat slow down Jokic, if at all? Especially because they tried the zone which worked against Boston, but certainly didn't work against the Nuggets last night.
1: I think that well, I think for Miami, certainly they're gonna to need to get out and run a little bit more. I think certainly that comes with, you know, on the defensive end as far as getting stops. I think if you turn this into a half-court matchup, I think the Heat are going to be in trouble. Um, so it's kind of little things, kind of, you know, whether it be the forcing turnovers, rebounding the ball, um, you know, that's kind of the Heat's DNA here. But um, I think when you have Jokic as the primary facilitator, I think you're going to be in trouble. I think you you basically have to kind of turn them into more of a score. I think if you get a game where Jokic is scoring 30 plus points, I think that probably benefits um, benefits the Heat here. And when base when he's got the ball in his hands and his, the, the floor is spread, and you've got shooters in the corner, whether it be Brown or um, you know Murray or certainly at the top of the key, that I think that hurts Miami here because what that turns into is offensive rebounds for. Um, you know, for, uh, for for Denver, we saw a little bit of the zone, um, certainly, um, that we saw in that Boston series, too, which is hard when, you know, you've got a good three-point shooting team like like Nuggets here. And then you were small on the, uh, you know, on, uh, from a rebounding perspective here. But um, that's, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure Eric Spolscher would say, hey, we just got to make shots, right? Like guys make shots. You know, Max is not going to go over whatever he was 0 for 7 0 for 8 here um that plays a role um just little things um yeah I thought there was a point where they could have closed the game to 10 and bam had a shot block um and then it comes down on the other end of three-point play right like those like just little things like that just cleaning up
2: yeah it seemed like Denver came up with big buckets uh like Jamal Murray for sure every time they needed one in the second half just to stave off like big runs by the heat um speaking of the heat and one thing you were saying uh earlier that we've definitely noticed in game one and definitely was a topic of big discussion in our discord channel was Bam Adebayo's offense. Like he had obviously a huge game one, like you said, kind of surprising uh, to a lot of people. I think a lot of the people we were talking to definitely like thought, okay, you know, bet Bam under because, you know, he's going to be working so hard on defense. He's going to be using all of his energy. uh, But he actually had a huge game on offense do you think that's maybe something that can continue? do you think that's going to be like a focus for the heat going forward?
1: Well, I always say threes are better than twos, right? So I think, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if Bam, if the, if the shot's there, you know, then, you know, then he's going to take advantage of it here. And I think you probably get, you know, skewed a little bit because the boss, he did not play well in the Boston series, you know, certainly towards the back end of it here. uh, I just thought, um, you know, he was unsure as far as what to do with the ball. And I thought, um, he didn't have great lift around the basket. He's probably a better perimeter player than he is around the basket. Um, so I think if, you know, it's kind of twofold. If Bam's going Bam's gonna to go for 26 points, I don't think Miami's going to win. I just, I think that's, I think if he's your primary option offensively, I think you're going to be in trouble. I, I really do. I think, um, you know, you're, you're going to need a vintage Jimmy Butler type game for this team to have a chance. You can't have a pedestrian 13, 14 point game. I mean, it's just, it's the reality. Um, It's kind of just the reality of the situation.
0: I saw you did, and you mentioned the Celtics series. So I kind of want to pivot there for a second. I saw you did a little bit of a breakdown on what's next for the Celtics. And obviously getting bounced like that at home in a game seven doesn't look good when you look at the final score, but then you take into account the ankle injury for Tatum, Brown being banged up in the series as well. Malcolm Brogdon too. So Celtics pretty hampered on the injury report throughout this seven game series. What do you think happens to Boston this off season, if anything, that dramatic?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Brad Stevens has already come out and said, and said the coach, Joe Mazul, is not in danger of losing his job. So you could probably, you'll expect him back and they'll probably add some veterans to that, that, um, that coaching staff. I think the big question, of course, is going to be, you know, certainly with Jalen Brown, um, who's extension eligible to sign that um, big supermax uh, contract? I'm. I would be surprised if um, a it was it wasn't offered, and b that Brown didn't sign it. I think you know. I think it's easier um, to pivot a year or two from now if you feel like that the Brown Tatum combination doesn't work. I think, especially with these new you know collective these new rules and the collective bargaining agreement. I think. Um, I think, you know, Brown will get extended. Um, Celtics can't trade him for a year as part of that extension. And then I think you figure it out next year as far as with these two players here, as far as if maybe you go in a different direction, because for me, Jalen Brown on an extension is a lot more valuable than Jalen Brown going into the last year of his contract. I think there's kind of, you know, there's a more of a risk for teams if he ever became a made available here. And, Certainly, Grant Williams is going to be a. Uh, what's the future of Grant Williams? Um, who's a restricted free agent? Um, yeah, I mean it's a shame. You would have loved to see a healthy Malcolm Brogdon, right? I mean that's the reason why they got him in, in the trade from Indiana. That's why he won Sixth Man of the Year. Um, his impact there. Um, you know they're uh, they've got a early second round pick. They can trade um, you know a bunch of first down the road if they want to here, but we always look at the last game as the knee-jerk reaction, right? Um, it's still a team that I know was two games away from winning it all and one game away from getting to the NBA Finals. And we have two players who are 25 and 26 and are wings in this league. It's hard to break up, right? It's hard to break up. And I've, I've heard all along people say, well, Damian Lillard and guys like that. And, like, what what's going to happen is, is, you know, like, trading 50 million dollar players for 50 million dollar players is going to be extremely hard in this league going forward. It's just the reality of how these new rules are going to be and building around, you know, you know, two or three guys making 50 million dollars is extremely hard. Um so you better if you're going to do that, you better make sure you have the right cast of supporting cast around you.
0: Now on to the NBA draft and for the first overall pick, the Spurs are very likely and according to the betting market, absolutely going to take Victor Wembanyama number one overall, and I'm sure you feel the same way. He's actually minus 205 versus the field to win NBA Rookie of the Year already. And I know he didn't attend the Combine, which was a couple of weeks ago in Chicago, but how dominant do you think he'll be in his first season in San Antonio?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think it's going to be important to have a center around him. I think if you're going to ask him to play center, I think that's going to be a tall task. Um, I don't know if we've ever seen a player like him um, come into this league. And I know LeBron certainly in 03 and, you know, the group in 96 with Kobe and Iverson. Um, I just think his length. I don't think we've ever seen someone with, from a length standpoint who's 7'4", 7'5", and then it has got a basically an eight-foot wing, wingspan here, which is off the, off the chart. I mean, he's going to the perfect situation in San Antonio with – Greg Popovich, there's a good supporting cast around him already with, you know, Kelton Johnson and Devin Vassell and um, Jeremy Sohan there. So there is a good group there here. Um, I'm interested to see him playing at this level. Um, you know, France is not one of the more dominant leagues, let's say. Um, it's not Spain. Um I don't even know if it's Australia, to tell you the truth. Um, so I'm interested to see him play. I think from a durability standpoint, I think he'll be fine. I know he's frail and um, that's always a concern here, but I think he's got the chance. I'm not ready to kind of hand him over the best player um, or the rookie of the year quite yet. But I think, I think that, I think everything is there for him to have um, a, a really dominant you know, rookie year.
2: For a lot of, observers of the draft obviously and and betters it's it's going to be the same way Uh, a lot of the intrigue is going to start at pick two right two and three very uh split opinion seems to be out there all the podcasts i've listened to articles i've read a lot of them from you guys uh seem to kind of be leaning to brandon miller ever so slightly and brandon miller is slightly slightly favored to go number two in the market's over Scoot Henderson, even though, you know, forever it was always assumed that Scoot Henderson uh, was going to be the the number two pick. So uh, what are you hearing um, on, on that front, and how do you feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just because um, the two positions, the two teams at two and three, Charlotte and Portland, are two teams that have point guards, right? So how much of a separation, um, you know, do you feel there is between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson? So if you're Charlotte at two, and Scoot Henderson's the best available, do you you pick him to play along with Lamel Ball? Same with Portland with Damian Lillard here. I mean, I think that's going to be the, that's what you're faced with here. You know, Brandon Miller is interesting because it's a position of need. He's a big wing. I mean, 6'9", 6'10". Did not finish the season strong, as we know. I thought he really struggled the ball, shooting the ball. Um, Jonathan Gavoni, our ESPN writer, has, you know, written that he's, You know, basically dealt with some mononucleosis and has lost a lot of weight, so he hasn't been working out as much. Um, So I think you're going to... I don't... You know, one-on-one individual workouts really don't tell me much, you know, because you're not out there with other players here. So you're basically kind of judging it off the film of what he did at Alabama compared to what Scoot did the last two years, certainly with the Ignite. I mean, the Ignite, they play against... You know, he played against NBA-level competition with the Ignite. I mean, I saw him play against Grand Rapids 2 years ago in Vegas and basically dominated the game against guys who were former first round picks and guys on 2-way contracts. So, how do you take that into into equation also? Um so it's not, I don't think it's a you know, I don't think it's a clear-cut favor as far as who goes where. I think the next 3 weeks are going to play a big role um, you know, in this
2: kind of the mystery box uh in the draft or two of the big mystery boxes I think are going to be uh, the Thompson's um, you know, cause cause a lot of the listeners and viewers probably are very familiar with some of the college players like Brandon Miller and even have maybe yeah. heard of or seen Scoot Henderson, you know, having played in that high profile game against Wemba team, all that sort of thing. But I think most people have never seen or maybe even read about the Thompson's. Um, so as far as the markets go, you know Amen is considered to be i think the 4th pick roughly uh he's favored to be the 4th pick what do you know about them and what do you know about how teams feel about them
1: i wouldn't be surprised if if you see um asar go before amen i wouldn't be surprised at all i think that's going to be that's going to be the interesting debate here as far as from an, you know they're very they're somewhat similar i think one you know who has the more upside here certainly for debate um, I think Oscar shoots the ball better, um, than a man. Um, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting. Both are better going downhill. Um, certainly got to, there's a lot to work on from a shot standpoint. Um, defensively, I think they're could play at a high, um, certainly at a high level here. Um, but you look at teams in that, whether it be Houston at four, Detroit at five, um, Orlando at six, um, Indy and in Washington at eight. I mean, that's kind of your group of teams there, right? Like I would be surprised if we're at pick eight and one of them are still on the board.
0: Looking into the fifth overall pick and Detroit hiring Monty Williams as their next head coach a couple days ago, Cam Whitmore, slight, slight favorite to land with the Pistons and a in the mix two. Jarris Walker from Houston anywhere between plus 275 and plus 375, actually, depending on the book, to go to the Pistons. And Detroit obviously already has, backcourt-wise, Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey last year from Purdue and Killian Hayes. So how do you think that impacts the Pistons' selection, if at all? And where do you think the Pistons go with this pick, or do they trade it?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's... Listen, anytime you you have the worst record in the NBA, there's needs everywhere, right? And I th- <laughs> certainly... Backcourt, probably not as much just because Cade was out most of the year with the injury and you've got Cunningham and Ivy here and they're basically kind of sitting in that sweet spot of all these big wings that are going to be available here, whether it be Whitmore or Walker, um, one of the Thompson's potentially, um, you know, you've got Bogdanovic on your roster here, who's got another couple of years left, but you're basically drafting for the future. Um, I think there's a hole at, at the four with, you know, basically kind of a rotating door of like S- Isaiah Storr and Marvin Bagley. You know, you're top heavy with centers with Wiseman and Doran. Um, I think you're going probably wing here. I think that's kind of being where, you know, whether it be one of, Whitmore is intri- intriguing, just he's a big wing, you know, I mean, he's a, um, from a size standpoint kind of like a Kwai Leonard size i want i would want to say um you know walker is more of kind of like a three four um you know 240 250 here so i think you're gonna go you know if you trade out um, especially now with now monty williams as a head coach you know what's the value of five out there i don't know if the value of five is where it was maybe a couple year, a year ago or even two years ago here to get like an impact player here so I still think kind of big wing. It's just a matter of kind of who who that guy's going to be. Yeah, I'm
0: really really high on Jairus Walker, big into college basketball and loved his game. I mean Whitmore, obviously coming back from the injury, certainly was dominant in the latter part of Big East play too. But over to another intriguing player, Grady Dick from Kansas. His draft position at nine and a half right now. The over is juiced at DraftKings and. The thought is that he could go to Utah with the ninth overall pick or higher, and he shot above 40% in his lone season with Kansas. So two-parter here. What's the ceiling for Grady Dick, maybe comp-wise, to you, and where do you think he ends up?
1: Yeah, I mean, comp-wise, I mean, that's an interesting one. I mean, like, it's hard. I don't think he gets past um, 11 you know, so I do think, you know, as you've mentioned, kind of where people have him in that Utah range, I think that's probably fair. Um, there's a need based on his shooting. Um, big wing, um, you know, as far as from a size standpoint. Um, I don't know if I want to put a comp. I hate putting comps on guys and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's different than the Whitmore, Hendricks, um Thompson group here, because I think he's probably one of the better shooters in the draft, you know? Um, and I think that has priority, especially for a jazz team that it's got, you know, Jordan Clarkson, who's got a player option, Colin Sexton, you know, small guard, um, you know, there's a need there as far as a guy to kind of come off your bench and, and shoot the ball.
2: So another thing we wanted to check in on for the top five, you know, there's been a lot of trade buzz with a lot of these picks Specifically, Portland through Detroit at three through five. I think mainly because, like, Portland obviously really wants to win right now. Houston obviously has to win right now because of draft trade reasons. Um, and then you have Detroit, which, like you said, just has like tons of young players and may um, <clears throat> not necessarily like the players that they're looking at at five. Um, so, do you see any? teams that are maybe likely to trade into those picks or players who might be um, wild cards that could be picked in the top 5 because of trades because that that could create like some some intrigue for some betters who might be able to take some, some long shots there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking at teams that can kind of trade into those picks, it's probably teams that have have built up their draft equity, whether it be Oklahoma City or even Utah. Um, I always like to look at like, you know, what is um, you know, does Utah look to move nine in maybe one of the future ones they got to get into the top four, top five, right? Like, what's the value there? We saw last year Oklahoma City was aggressive, you know, getting another lottery pick. Um, What is it, you know, what's the value of, you know, I think they're at 12, 12, and they're still sitting on a 12 and let's say the Clipper pick um, in 20, uh, I think 24. Um, You know, does that get you into the top five here? And I think, yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking at Portland at three with with Lillard. Um, does the timeline of the roster fit with Damian Lillard, right? Kind of how, where they are. Houston has ma- made it known that they're going to upgrade this roster. And then certainly Detroit. Um, I think you have to focus on the teams that have multiple ones. You know, you can eliminate, um, you know, you can eliminate teams like, you know, certainly Minnesota who have, don't have a pick and maybe even New York comes into play, right? Like New York doesn't come in, doesn't have a draft pick at all, but has, Sitting on a ton of, um, you know, ton of first round equity here, so that would be where my focus would be as far as um, you know some of those teams that have multiple ones that are you know could package to get into uh, into the top five.
0: Bobby Marks at Bobby Marks forty two on Twitter, ESPN NBA front office insider, really gracious with his time during one of the, his busiest times of the NBA and NBA draft season, and we really appreciate him coming on the Lions podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bobby. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. Remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications when more videos pop up for the NBA Finals and NBA Draft, for that matter. For Monowire, for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening. So long, everybody.